0: amen isn't it great to be in the house of the lord and lift our souls up to god and give him praise the praise that he is worthy of and deserves it's uh i i i just love coming to this place you know i'm, I'm with king david i was glad when they said to me let us go up to the house of the lord and so i'm just glad to be here um, let's bow in prayer and just ask god to bless his word as we uh, take it in lord this morning we are so grateful that we can praise your name and give glory to your name. And we pray that as we open the scriptures, Lord, that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would open my tongue, that I might speak your, your, uh, your words powerfully and effectively, and that uh, your message would go forth and not return to you void, but accomplish what you sent it to do. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you bless this time, and may your word be powerful in our midst, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're starting a new series called E-Prophets, and um, now if you're a computer nerd, you might be thinking, really? We're going to do a series on enhanced probabilistic routing protocol using the history of encounter and trans- transitivity. Yeah e prophet uh, no we're not going to go there okay there's nothing to do with your computer or routing or anything like that no it's it's about Elijah the prophet and Elisha the prophet this is the e prophets okay so that's what we're going to be talking about um, it see, it just seemed good to me that the Lord wanted us to just carry on with the series that we've been doing we've already been talking about Elijah calling down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel and so today we're going to focus on the last few verses of uh first kings chapter 18 and so you can look that up in your bibles if you like uh it's this big showdown between the 400 uh prophets of asherah and the 450 prophets of baal and the one lone prophet for the lord almighty and it's a showdown and i'm sure you know the story pretty dramatic stuff um, and fire falls from heaven and the people cry out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And uh, they round up the prophets of Asherah and Baal, and they take them down to the valley and they slaughter them there. And really it's, they, they're just doing to them what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, basically, Deuteronomy 13, verse 5, it gives the death penalty for any prophet who would prophesy in the name of some other God, who would lead the people of Israel astray. And so actually, they, they carry that out. Um, but the, And that seems to be the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. Uh, in verse 41, the story continues. And Elijah says to King Ahab, go, eat, drink. For there's the sound of a heavy rain. <clears throat> now, you've got to realize that this probably sounded crazy to King Ahab. It hasn't rained in Israel for three and a half years. There's been no dew, no moisture of any kind. All the brooks are dried up, all the streams have dried up. All the, the, lives, the um, vegetation is, die, is dead or dying, and the cattle are all dead. And Elijah's saying, Go, eat, drink. And I'm sure Ahab looked at the sky, and yeah, it's as blue as blue can be. There's not a cloud up there. And he's like, what? This isn't, this isn't the end. Just because you called down fire from heaven doesn't mean, you know, it's going to rain tomorrow. Um, so what was Elijah talking about? Well, you may have heard of people, you know, seeing with the eyes of faith. Have you heard of that before? Seeing with the eyes of faith. It basically means that you're sort of seeing something that, doesn't really exist in reality, but you're seeing it in a supernatural spiritual state. Well, I think that's what's going on here with Elijah. He's hearing the sound of this heavy rain, but he's hearing with his spiritual ears. And, uh, and so um, <clears throat> all he had to do was, you know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, here we have Elijah hearing with the ears of faith. Um, you see, he knows that God has promised rain. If you look back into uh, verse 1 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 1 says that after a long time, God three years actually, God comes along and says, hey, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send more rain on the land or I will send rain on the land. So all he had to do was present himself to Ahab and God would send rain. Well, he had pre- presented himself to Ahab And in fact, he had done everything that the Lord had commanded him to do. Uh, All the altar building and the calling fire down from heaven it was all what God had called him to do. Uh, And the evil that had kept the rain from falling on the land, all the false prophets and all the people following the false prophets, well, that has been dealt with on Mount Carmel. And the evil had been purged from the land. And so in his ears of faith, he hears this heavy rain. And he tells Ahab, eat, drink, the famine's over. It's time to party. Uh, And this is where the passage kind of gets interesting. Because instead of going off with King Ahab to Jezreel to eat and drink and enjoy the fact that the famine's over, Elijah goes the opposite direction. He goes back up the Mount Carmel. I mean, they've come down the mountain. They're in the Kishron Valley. And now he's going back up the mountain. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he gets down on his knees. And then he sticks his head between his knees. Can you imagine? It says he bowed down with his head between the knees. I, I, I'm too old to do that, I think. I'm just like, I don't think so. He, he's got his forehead on the ground. <laughs> and he starts, obviously, praying for rain. But to me, this seems a little bit odd. I mean, he's already heard the sound of heavy rain in his spiritual ears he knows it's coming he we just noticed that noted that god had promised the rain and elijah's fulfilled all the re all the responsibilities that god gave him so why is he praying for something that god has promised and obviously he's foreseen and and or should we say foreheard uh, <laughs> and it's not like he's just praying you know oh god send rain no he's his posture says he's fervently in prayer. He's doing something that people, what we often call, travailing in prayer. In prayer, have you heard of travailing in prayer? This word "travail" comes from the uh, word that the old that old English used for labor, uh, the labor pains of a woman trying to give birth. Okay, and uh, and then he's also doing this other thing called praying through, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, so he's travailing in prayer, and he's praying through. Um, <clears throat> so this, is a, this, is, this position that he positions himself in is, is not only just an intense praying position on his knees with his head between his, 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 his knees. It's actually the position that women of his day took to deliver children. I know it sounds a little bit weird and a bit awkward. But if you think about it, that's actually a good way to give birth, apparently. And that's what was happening in his day. So he's got this position of travail, of labor, of giving birth. Um, So if we look into John 16, verse 21, you can actually see this this word in the scriptures of where we get this travailing in prayer uh, idea from. Um, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour has come. But as soon as she delivers the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. So as you can see, a woman giving birth has both sorrow and, and uh, anguish. Ask any woman who's given birth, and they will tell you. Yes, sorrow and anguish. And yes, the joy did come, but I remember after our first child was born sorry Kendall but it was you and and Jennifer says to me I'm never doing that again (laughs) I'm like okay I kept my mouth shut yeah God gave me some wisdom (laughs) but in my heart I was thinking oh come on we're gonna do this again (laughs) and praise God we did but uh that's the whole thing it's like this travail it's this difficult thing and so that seems to be what Elijah is doing here. He's travailing his prayer. He's praying his heart out. And he's, he just wants this to happen. It's kind of like when Hannah goes to the, the temple, you know. She's, she's got a, a... There's another wife of her husband who's ridiculing her for being barren. And she's all upset about it. And her husband, if you read between the lines, he's not... You know, he says to her, you know, aren't I better than a bunch of sons? The pride of this guy, you know, it's like, ask any woman if that really works. No, it doesn't work. And so she's all upset and she goes and she prays fervently on the steps of the temple. And she's praying so fervently that the high priest mistakes her for a drunken woman and tries to kick her out. But no, she explains to him what's going on in the travail of her heart. Paul says a very similar thing in Galatians 4 verse 19. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Do you see what he's saying there? He's like saying, "I'm in just as much pain as a woman giving birth to a kid," and we might say, "Like, yeah, right, Paul. You don't know what that's about." But, but that's what he's saying. He's just saying, "Like, I am just travailing. I am concerned. I want Christ to be formed in you, and it consumes who I am." And so, I'm sure that Paul prayed. Uh, this, this is a really interesting verse in chapter 8 of romans where it seems like we all ought to be praying like this that the holy spirit would come upon us at times and start to pray with us in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness Um, we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans have you ever been with people who are just groaning when they pray It's because they're not quite sure how to pray, but God's Spirit is just pushing them hard to pray hard, pray fervently. I love what it says in Psalms 128.6. It says, They will sow in tears and reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, you know, maybe this is about sowing real seed in the fields. I don't really know, but I, I don't know very many farmers that go out and weep and wail as they spread seed on their, on their farmland. Uh, so I'm, I think this is more, you know, poetical. This is really talking about praying with, with weeping. And crying out to God. I remember this one day. I spent the whole night weeping and crying out to God. And just in anguish of soul. Because something traumatic had happened in my family. And I was just really upset about it. And I was just crying out to God for an answer. And and then God sent a sign that He would answer that prayer. And lo and behold, He answered that prayer. And I believe that there's something powerful about the Christian person down on their knees, their head between their lay, knees, crying out to God, passionately seeking God to do something about the circumstances they found themselves in. And, of course, James says about this prayer with Elijah with his head between his, his knees, he says, Elijah prayed earnestly. I love that word, you know, earnestly. It just it just has some grunt to it, you know. Um Travailing in prayer. Laboring in prayer. prayer. I know that travail and labor means the same thing. But somehow when we say laboring in prayer, it makes it sound like it's a bunch of work. When actually, if you ask any woman delivering a child, it's a whole lot more than just a bunch of work. Right? It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of concentration. It's a lot of forgetting everything they taught you in, in the class you took and just going through it, right? Um, so what, let me ask you, Have you ever prayed this way? With this kind of fervency, this kind of intentionality, just passionately crying out to God. Elijah did. But it's not only that. He also did what people uh, of the last century used to call praying through. In other words, he just kept praying until he saw an answer, what he deemed an answer from the Lord. So you see, he's up on the mountain there. He's he's assumed this position of travailing prayer, uh, and then he he says to his servant, "Hey, go look look for the answer to my prayer out by the sea." I'm not sure if the servant knew what he was out looking for. Mount Carmel is uh, is about uh, 35 kilometers from the sea, the Mediterranean Ocean or Mediterranean Sea or whatever you call it, and so it's clearly visible from Mount. Uh, Carmel. And so the servant goes over and he looks. He doesn't see anything. So he goes back and I don't see anything. And Elijah just prays again, tells him to go again, prays again, tells him to go again. And each time it's like, I don't see anything. And all of a sudden on the seventh time, uh, something crazy happens. The, the servant comes back and says, uh, well, I, I see a, a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Now, I'm not sure if it was, you know, a six inch cloud rising out of the sea, probably pretty hard to see that, you know, or if he was like this, you know, like, okay, it's about that size, about the size of my hand extended like that. That's probably what he meant, but we don't know for sure. Either way, Elijah thinks, oh, this is the answer to my prayer. I'm like, it hasn't rained for three and a half years and he's got this little tiny cloud rising out of the sea and Elijah's just like, there it is. I'm like, that's not rain. That's a tiny little cloud. But no, for Elijah, this is it. And it reminds me of this story that Jesus taught. He said that there was this this widow that had been wronged by somebody and that she would go to this unrighteous judge. The Bible says that this judge was unrighteous. And, and in fact, he even admits to him his, in his own thoughts he says you know i, I 'm not a, a righteous judge and i don 't care what people think i 'm just in it for myself and so this is the kind of guy he was he he 's just out for number one he didn 't care and this this woman comes to him and pleads her you know she 's a widow, so uh in in israeli society there 's not much room there for justice I mean she's she doesn't have a husband to stand up for her uh, work conditions for women in uh, those days very scarce very hard to find work very hard to find support so if her husband didn't leave her much and then some scoundrel comes and takes what little she has she's destitute and so she goes to this judge looking for some justice against this scoundrel who's ripped her off and the judge is just like, "Hey, bailiff, take this woman out of my out of my courtroom. You know, I don't want to hear her complaining anymore. It's done. You know, like, no, I don't want to hear about it." But you know, he leaves the courtroom that day, and there she is on the step. Judge, judge, you got to bring justice to me. And he's like, "Lady, you know, like," and he just ignores her, walks home, you know. And she's following him down the street. You know, give me justice, give me justice. He gets home and he's like, shuts the door, and Oof, enough of that, lady. Next day, he goes back to work. There she is again at the courtroom steps. Judge, judge, give me justice. And this goes on and on and on for weeks. Who knows how long it goes. And finally, the judge is like, oh, my goodness. Even though I don't fear God, I don't care about this lady. And certainly, she's not going to give me a bribe or help me out in any way. I'm going to give her justice just so she'll leave me alone. You know? And so he does. And Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Listen to it. Will not my Father in heaven give what His servants cry out for day and night when they cry out for justice? And Jesus was saying, this is why we persevere in prayer. We just keep at it, keep at it. God is not unjust. God is not like that judge at all. But Jesus says, you keep at it, and He'll answer your prayer. And this is what Elijah is doing here he's just keep at it keep praying keep praying keep praying until God will answer Um, so as soon as he sees the cloud he says to his servant go tell Ahab hitchhike and go down before the rain stops you so so now he had already told uh, Ahab to get going because there's the sound of the heavy rain but now he's telling his servant to do it again so, in other words, Elijah had climbed all the way up the mountain. Eli, uh, Ahab is still down there trying to get his, his horses hooked up. And who knows what he's doing down there. But he's just dilly-dallying around down there. And Elijah just goes, must looks down and goes like, Ahab is not moving. Boy, he's going to get soaked. And so he tells the servant to tell him to get going. Well, this is all on the basis of a tiny little cloud the size of a man's hand. See, now Elijah's not only hearing with the ears of of faith, he's also seeing with the eyes of faith. He's seeing things that aren't there yet. They haven't developed yet, but he's seen them. Um, So, all of this, to me, begs a question. Why was Elijah praying such a travailing, such a praying-through prayer? He already knew God was going to do this. God had promised him outright. He had fulfilled everything. Why was he so intent and prayed with such ferocity? Why? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Luckily, I'm not a prophet. (laughs) Luckily, I think that Elijah has more insight about God Uh, doing miracles and and doing things, fulfilling prayer, than I do. And I think maybe I should just suck it up and say, I think Elijah knows a bit more about God than I do. Um, Because I think that the answer to why Elijah spent all his time in, in intense, fervent prayer, seven times asking the same thing, is because god wants to include us in his plans that's really the reason and god may have promised all this stuff but i don't think he would have done it if elijah hadn't prayed for it fervently there is a partnership between god and us and god i believe uh withholds things when we don't act with him when we don't partner with him he withholds it one might argue that technically god is sovereign he can do whatever he wants so we end up deducing from that from god's sovereignty that our prayers don't really do anything because if god wants to do something he'll just do it he doesn't me need measly old me to ask him to do something when he's the sovereign ruler of the universe and if it's his will to do something no he's going to jolly well do it but actually, that's not the case, even though it feels that way. Um, isn't God going to do whatever he wants to do? I'm sure that the majority of us have felt or thought this way at some point, And I think it's reflected in our prayer life. That we kind of go like, well, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do. And yes, I'm supposed to pray according to his will. But, I mean, if it's his will already, then, you know. Okay, well, I'll spend a few minutes in prayer. And we spend a few minutes of prayer before our meals. We spend a few minutes of prayer before we go to bed. And we go, okay, I've prayed. Really? doesn't sound like this travailing prayer that Elijah was involved with. Somehow, Elijah the prophet understands just because it's God's plan doesn't mean he's going to put it into action. He's not going to implement it, not without a human agent. For some reason, God has decided to limit himself to actions where he uses a human agent. I mean, God could have just, you know, sent down fire from heaven anytime he wanted. God could have done, stopped the rain or started the rain. But he's using Elijah as the human agent for these things. So Elijah, I think, knows a little bit about being the human agent for god 's actions, and so we see him here praying passionately um, and all through the Bible, this is borne out right the the uh, new believers in acts chapter uh, six I believe <laughs> they're praying fervently, you know, oh, Lord, save Peter from from Herod's hand, you know, get him out of jail. And all of a sudden Peter shows up at the door and they're like, oh, my goodness, it must be his ghost. He must have been killed. (laughs) Like, where's the faith of these people, you know? They're praying passionately for this thing. It happens. And then they go, oh, no, oh, look at that. It didn't happen. He must have been killed. (laughs) And you're like, wow. Uh, But I kind of see myself in that huh sometimes i pray and then i just assume it's not going to happen but you know jesus prays lazarus comes out of the tomb prayers cause sick people to get well prayers cause dead people to walk it's amazing all these things that prayer does Uh, would these things happen without prayer that's the big question like would they happen anyways or are they limited to prayer They wouldn't happen, okay? I'm telling you, they wouldn't happen. Even though they're God's will, they would not happen because God limits himself to the the prayers of his people. Look what James says. James says it straight up. You do not have because you do not ask God. (laughs) It's just like, you're not getting things from the Lord because you didn't ask for them. John Wesley, Wesley puts it this way. God does nothing on earth save in answer to believing prayer ian bounds similar thing god shapes the world by prayer the more praying there is the world in the world the better the world will be the mightier the forces against evil the prayers of god's saints are the capital stock of heaven i love that by which god carries on his great work upon the earth (laughs) there's something serious about praying that you kind of go like oh that's a little more serious than i thought In the Alliance, we have this saying. It's right in our manual. It says, uh, we do nothing without prayer. And you know, sometimes when I'm at the prayer meeting on Tuesday night at the end of the month, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is a slogan we say, but I'm not sure we actually believe it. I'm not sure we actually do it. And I'm discouraged about that. And I'm discouraged about it in my own life when I don't pray all the time. without I don't do anything without prayer. So even though it's God's initiative to send the rain, God's command for Elijah to see Ahab and do all these miracles, yet James says, Elijah prayed and the heavens gave rain. Okay? So Elijah had done all this other stuff, he had been obedient to God, but it wasn't until he prayed that God opened the sky for rain. <clears throat> So the only logical answer to the question of why Elijah needed to pray is simply this, that God has chosen to work together with people. You know, one of the great regrets in my life is um, the, the fact that I didn't um, transfer my mechanical mindedness to my kids and my, uh, my ability to build things. I didn't transfer that to my kids. And the reason I didn't transfer that to my kids is because I'm too impatient you know uh when the kids like when they were small when they would help me on a project and sometimes they would help they it, the project would take 3 times longer and the project wouldn't look half as good as when I did it by myself so here i am like really it's going to take long and i wouldn't tell them don't bother me or go away or anything like that i would just ignore them while i worked and eventually they would go away and this is a great regret in my life because I really haven't transferred these skills to my kids very well. And uh, and now 30 years later, I'm like realizing, hmm, well this is too bad. Didn't really pass this on to my kids. <laughs> Mostly because I'm impatient and I don't want the project to go wrong. I don't. I want it to be done right. Well guess what? God's not like me. Praise the Lord. He doesn't care if the project goes wrong. He doesn't care how long it takes. He wants to be in partnership with his kids. And so he just lets them muddle about and lets the project fall to pieces, lets people go to hell because the Christians aren't telling them about him and they're not praying about him. He just lets it all happen. Why? Why? Because it's so important to him to have that relationship with his kids. He wants to build into his kids this reliance on him for miracles, this reliance on prayer for a communion with God. And it's so important to God that he'll let the work get, go undone and he'll let the work be done lousy. It's kind of shocking. But it's so important that, to God that that's what He lets happen. God takes a risk on us and allows His own plans to falter because we have not picked up the slack. We've not committed to, to pray. Have you ever wondered why... You know, the, the Cornelius was a man who followed God and he wanted to serve God. And what does God do? He sends an angel to Cornelius And, you know, you would think that God would send the angel to Cornelius and the angel would tell him, look, you know, there was this man who lived. His name was Jesus. He died for the sins of the people and you need to believe in him and you'll have everlasting life. angel doesn't say that, does it? Where does the angel say? Send to Tarshish for Saul. He lives on a straight street. Send for him and he'll tell you what to do. Weird. It's because... God wants a human agent to spread the gospel around the world. If the disciples decided that, oh, well, God's going to do all the discipling, we don't need to do that. Let Jesus, Jesus said he'd build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against him. So Jesus, good luck with that. We'll go on our married way. No, it didn't happen. The disciples partnered with Jesus and they became the founding pillars of the church. And God is still in the business of building His church. And He's still in the business of calling partners into a prayer relationship with Himself so that the work of the kingdom would carry on. God has chosen you and I to spread the good news of the gospel. God has chosen you and I to pray for men's souls and women's souls so they would not end up damned for eternity. God has called us into this ministry. Um, And does He have a Consigency plan? No, he does not. We are it. Uh, surely God can save the heathens without us, but he doesn't. He limits himself because this relationship with his people is so important to him. We are the instruments in his hand today. You may say, Well, I wish that God would just go ahead without me. Uh, you know, save my neighbor. I wish God would just, you know, do these things. God's like, no, I'm waiting for you to get on your knees and pray for your neighbor. I'm waiting for you to ask for my power, so that you will speak to your neighbor with powerful words that will win his heart. And God's patient. <clears throat> Andrew Murray says, God's giving is inseparably connected to with our action, asking. Only by intercession can that power be brought down from heaven which will enable the church to conquer the world. Listen, listen to what God says. This is, this is a very challenging verse. In fact, I really don't like this verse, okay? Truth be told. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. God says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them in my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Whoa! You see how God is limiting Himself in this passage? He's saying, I need a guy to pray. I need a person to pray for the deliverance of this nation. And if there isn't anyone then in spite of the fact that I love these people, I'm going to destroy them. Because I need someone to pray for these people. Whoa! That scares the living daylights out of me, this passage. I'm like, am I standing in the gap where God is saying I'm going to send people to hell? I need someone to pray for them. Who's going to pray for them? You know Jesus didn't send his disciples out into the harvest field until he he asked them to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth reapers into the harvest field. And so prayer comes before the harvest. Prayer comes prayer enables God to stop his judgment on people. It's a powerful thing. Jack Hayford said, "Prayer is Essentially a partnership. In prayer, the redeemed child of God is working hand in hand with God. Because of prayer, they move together towards the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes uh, on earth. And so now I want to I point out something that re- must be really obvious to you by now. But I'm going to make it, you know, double check on it. I want to point out that the prayer that Elijah was praying, was it God's will to send rain on the land? Oh, good. I'm glad you're paying attention. (laughs) All right. Yeah, it's God's will. And so he's praying in accordance with God's will. And the Bible says that we need to pray in accordance with God's will. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and 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 we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. This is a description of a prayer of faith and i've talked about um uh james chapter five before here in the congregation and i've talked about the fact that you know in james chapter five it sounds like the prayer of faith will automatically heal the sick person it sounds like uh the prayer of a faithful man is powerful and effective and in in three times it says the lord will raise him up the lord will forgive him the lord will heal the person who's prayed for in faith but I want to tell you that I've, I've seen a lot of people not healed, even though they were prayed for in faith. You know, my son challenged me one time. He said, you know, like, you know, it's hard for me to believe in God because, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross and therefore I'm saved, right? Yeah, because the Bible says so. Makes sense. But he says, but I prayed with the same faith, the exact same faith for Michelle Linden's back to get better for five years every day. She's still not healed. So is the faith that I had praying for my salvation not, you know, like, is it a different kind of faith or is it better or worse than the faith I had praying for Michelle Linden? Like, What gives? Do I need to have a better faith to pray for my salvation? And so this really caught my attention. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's logical. Like, what is the problem here? And I realized that this, when Ephesians, or James chapter 5, talks about the prayer of faith, it's, you know, the, the NIV translates it, the prayer offered in faith. But I think it's a bad translation. The Greek has it very clear. It's the prayer of faith that will make the sick person well. And then Elijah is given as the example of that prayer of faith. He's given as the example. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed and the heavens gave forth rain. So Elijah's prayer that we're just discussing right now is the example of the prayer of faith. Well, let me tell you, Elijah prayed according to God's will. He already knew what God's will was, and then he travailed in prayer. He already knew. And so for me, this whole lesson becomes not an effort to get get more faith. For me, this whole thing becomes an effort and a desire to know God's will. Because if I know God's will, then I can travail in prayer. Then I know for sure that my praying is not just a waste of time. I know that this is going to happen. God is going to do this thing because he's told me so so somehow or some way. And there's things that we know that are God's will and we can pray them with power and effectiveness. But to me, it's it's becoming a prophet. Asking God, what am I supposed to pray for in this situation? And sometimes when people come to the front of the church to be prayed for and anointed with oil, I haven't heard God's voice and I pray the prayer of hope. I pray, if it's God's will, may you find wholeness. And those kinds of prayers are fine. But once in a while, I feel it down in my heart to pray the prayer of faith. And I just feel like God's saying to me, I'm going to heal this person. It doesn't happen very often to me. I'm not a prophet. I, I don't profess to be one. But God does speak to me. I am his child. And so he speaks to me. And so... Uh, once in a while this kind of thing happens and I'm just blown away by it and I'm able to pray a prayer of faith. And so this is is my plea with you. Have a relationship with Jesus Christ that includes prayer where you hear His voice and you know what His will is so that you can just get downright and dirty with your prayers and just pray until that thing happens because you know it's going to happen. And this is basically the lesson for today. Let's, because I don't think it was, it was his fervent prayer or his, his, you know, his travailing in prayer that caused God to act. It was because he knew what God's reason or God's will was that caused him to do that kind of prayer that caused God to act. So it's all kind of like mixed together. I hope you got it. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you today lord we we don't feel like elijah we feel like he's some great grand amazing prophet who heard your voice and did your will and called down fire from heaven and stopped the rain started the rain Lord, we feel like just tiny compared to that But lord you said if we had the faith of a mustard seed we could call a mountain to move and so we're just kind of confused by that we don't know how to pray So, Lord, we ask that you would teach us to pray. Lord, we would ask that you would teach us your will. Lord, we would ask that you would show us your will, that you would speak, Lord. You said in your word that that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. So, Lord, we, we pray for your voice to be heard in our quiet times, Lord, in that still small voice. We pray, Lord, that you would come and speak your word to us so that we might know how to travail, where to tra- travail in prayer, that we might know that we need to keep at it until the, the prayer is answered. So, Father, we come before you and we just ask, Lord, that you would do this in the midst of your congregation. Give us a word from you. We are dependent, Lord. The, the word says, without a vision, the people perish. Lord, without without us hearing your voice, we we cannot live this life you've called us to live. We cannot be the Christians you've called us to live in power and authority. But Lord, we need to hear your voice so that we can pray this prayer of faith, knowing that you will answer. So Father, we just bow before you and ask for this simple request that you would speak, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.